I got three, I got four kids. Three of them have all these issues. I'm always at Cincinnati Children's doing this, doing that, doing the other. But then like my son, you walk in and it's the, it's the hematology oncology board, right? It's always, it's blood cancer unit is the, is the unit that they're together. And you're, you know, you kind of like, oh, my kids, this, and that. And then you walk into that ward and you see a, a two-year-old that's got cancer. Yeah. And you're like, oh, our life's not that bad. Right. You know, so it gives you perspective. Even in the midst of everything so else you're important. dealing with, yeah. you, you still have this perspective of it could be worse. Mm. Um, but as a parent, it's hard to see that because you – as a parent, I don't mind dealing with it. Like I, I, whatever gets thrown my way, I'm just going to deal with it. That's fine. But the hard part as a parent is your, your kid to deal with it. Good morning, everyone. This is Jarrett Bass with Mark McCain, and you are listening to Triumph Every Day, where we discuss the journeys that shaped the lives of our guests and how it brought them to where they are today. And uh, we have a very special guest, Tavis McNair. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah. Tavis. Uh, there was a little while where it was we didn't know if it was Tavis or Tavis or, Tavis or, or Travis. Travis. Yeah. And I'm like, did did he misspell his waiver? <laughs> Wasn't sure. So. Um, why don't you just take, uh, you know, take a little bit and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Um, I'm from originally from Northeast Ohio. Grew up in the Akron, Cleveland kind of area. Northeast Ohio. Yeah. So little, little there. I'm a <laughs> Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Cavs fan. So a little depressing on uh, on all those fronts. But uh, yeah. Uh, so grew up there my whole life. All my family lives up there, and. Uh, Graduated from high school, played both sports in high school, and I graduated, went into uh, Kent State University's uh, pre-med program, so I was going to be a, be a doctor, and then uh, sophomore year in high school, or I'm sorry, sophomore year in college, uh, just felt I needed to go a different direction, so I unenrolled from school and uh, found a Bible college in Louisville, Kentucky, and went there to pursue a degree in ministry. And so while I was there is when I met uh, my wife, Tiffany, and uh, dated for about a month and got engaged. And then about six months later, we got married. So Boom. just nice, nice and fast. And, uh, and so continued my education in Louisville and then found a job down there, spent about 15 years in Louisville, and then uh, moved up here about, I don't know, I've been up here about seven, six, six and a half years now. Cool. So... Wife Tiffany, and then we've got four kids. So we've got a thirteen-year-old, which is scary. Yeah, we can talk about so, that for probably an hour. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a that's a whole different ball game right there. But yeah, thirteen, eleven, nine, and eight. Very cool. So two boys and two girls. Very cool. Where uh, whereabouts in Louisville did you live? I lived in on Fagenbush area, which was kind of the east, southeast side of town. Yeah. Um, Louisville's a little crazy because. You, you enter, you, if you drive down 75, or 71, like you're 100 miles outside Louisville and you're like, you're entering Louisville. Right. So like the entire area they consider Louisville, right? Um, yeah, which yeah. is a little bit strange. But Yeah, I, I actually enjoy Louisville quite a bit. I love the, uh, you know, it's cool to see like that kind of New Orleans flair they have there, you know, like kind of like it's, it seems like you're a little bit farther south than you are, yep. you know, it's pretty cool and I really enjoy going down there quite a bit and, and what's really cool is, you know, OTR in their own rights is, uh, is picking up quite a bit, um, but it seems like their industrial sector, they just turned into restaurants. Yeah. Like yeah, they've done like, a, yeah, they've, they did a really good job of building up a couple of the areas yeah. to... It was, it was really, really cool every time we go down there. It's just like when you, anytime you go to OTR, something new has kind of moved in and yeah. taken up shop there. So it's, all, it's been really fun to watch. Um, so uh, what, what was the maybe deciding factor of going from, uh, you know, Kent State to rolling into a, basically a Bible college? Yeah, it's kind of a drastic, uh, in some ways it's a drastic Especially at a, as a, at a younger age. I mean, I feel like a lot of people make that sense maybe a little bit later in life and you know, people go to college uh, to like, I'm going to have the college experience. And that didn't sound like that was for you. No, it never had, you know, that was never my, my thing. I, you know, I did well in school. Um, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed school. And I, I, I went on a retreat with, with my church 
and I just that's when I just kind of felt my priorities shift and uh, I always wanted to help people hmm. and so you know I was going into pre-med I was going to be a pediatrician of some some degrees kind of where I was focusing mm-hmm. um, you know helping kids and so making that shift into ministry wasn't as drastic as it might sound because it's still helping people at its core right it's just in a different in a different way um, and then the thing that really hit me is after I got back from that retreat, I went to class that next week, and I'm sitting in organic chemistry, and I'm going, I, "What am I doing? I can't do this. Like yeah, this, yeah. this, it doesn't feel like the right place to be." And, and I think that was just more of a confirmation of what I had already known that I needed to do. And so that's kind of where um, where that came from. Jeff Jeff Ryan, um, if you've gotten a chance to talk to him, he, again, kind of inspiration for this entire podcast. He was. Uh, you know, he's always, he's told us, he's like, you really make, you make a decision, you know, with your head. He's like, but you really don't make it until your heart catches up with your head. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like that's exactly yeah, that, what happened. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, looking, and looking back in high school and middle school, you know, they always have you do those like, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of stuff. And uh, always, because my, my mom saved everything, which she just gave me all that stuff the other day. Mm-hmm. Don't, huh. I hope she didn't listen to this. I, but, uh, uh. Mom, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Put in the trash. I don't want all this stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a hoarder. But in uh, looking back on all that stuff, my top two things were always something in medicine, something in ministry, something helping people. And so looking back on it, it, you know, it, it makes sense. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was kind of a confirmation when I got to college that I did, I did the pre med thing for a year, and had a lot of friends who were still in that program, and it was just like, it's just not. Yeah. It's just not for me. Sure. No, so. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So did you pursue and, and see that all the way through? The, the, by the Bible the, college? Yeah. The, yeah. The so ministry? yeah. So I, I graduated with a, a bachelor, bachelor's degree, and then I went on and got a master's degree, and then I went on and got a PhD, Very all cool. from the same, it's kind of that same institution. Now, uh, as far as where you are today, is that... Are you still using that? Is yeah, it? so I'm a I'm the uh, operations pastor over at Florence Baptist Church, that church right there on Mount Zion Road. So I handle all the finances, facilities. So uh, a little different focus. I did student ministry for about 15, 18 years. So dealt with a lot of teenagers, a lot of families. Uh, loved doing that. Uh, and then when I moved up here uh, to accept the job up here, it was a little bit, a little bit of a shift as far as ministry focus. Um, and so I deal with more of the admin side of ministry now, which I like, I, I enjoy that, but I also get to deal with people and, mm-hmm. and, and do that side too. So, uh, but yeah, so I'm still putting it to, uh, the, the PhD was technically in leadership, um, you know, so that's kind of a broad spectrum of, yeah, of you things. You can be a leader in a million different ways. It's one yeah. thing that Mark and I found out, you know, a long time ago and, you know, still trying to define exactly what that looks like for us. Yeah, and you read a leadership book, and you're like, oh, that's what it is. You read another one, oh, that's what it is. It's just about dealing with people. I mean, that's really all. Our, all uh, so. The church I go to one time, they brought up an interesting point. If you search on Amazon for leadership books, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's just say there's 10 times as many books on leadership leadership, you know, um, as opposed to followership, followership, if that's a word. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it's to your point, you know, I think there's just so many books on leadership and there's not enough on like followership sometimes, but, and and I'm sure you have probably contrasted those, um, throughout your journey and so on and so forth. But yeah, I feel like sometimes there's probably even situations where you find yourself like, you know what, I'm going to let this person lead and I'm going to follow or vice versa, um, in certain scenarios, but I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting point to bring up because kind of like you said, um, in this day and age where we're just constantly inundated with information, it's hard to discern in certain situations. Like, I don't know, is it, is it like the drill sergeant leader? Is that, you know, we butt up against this as trainers, Jarrett. It's like, you know, some people want us to yell at them. Some people want us to like calm them down. Some people it's, will not respond well if you yell in their face. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. You, and you see that in sports too. You see yeah. the, some of the old school coaches and, and they're not getting the results that they mm-hmm. used to get because it feels like the, the newest generation of, of athletes are, mm-hmm. they want to be a little more coddled, a little bit more come beside them and encourage mm-hmm. them. And you know, some of these coaches that are yell screamers, it, it doesn't necessarily translate sure. all the time. So typically your best coaches 
are going to be the ones that can adapt to the different personalities on your on your team. And that's one of the things I learned from my high school basketball coach. He was a tremendous coach, tremendous leader, but everybody was treated differently mm-hmm. as far as how he communicated to them. We're all treated the same as far as fairness and whatever, but as far as how he approached you, right. how he had communicated, he treated everybody differently mm-hmm. uh, based on their personality, based on how they responded. And I, mm-hmm. I picked up a lot of a lot of really good things from uh, from him. So, for sure. um, I know uh, you know being in student leadership and dealing with a lot of teenagers and things like that. How does that carry over into having four kids? Well, yeah, my <laughs> wife, my wife and I talk about this all the time because she she actually got a degree uh, at the. Bible college, the the bachelor, and, and youth ministry as well. So she served alongside me for uh, when we were married. I think it was 11, 10 or eleven years at that uh, specific uh, student ministry that she served in. And uh, we talk about it all the time because it's when you're dealing with teenagers all the time, you have a very good understanding of what teenagers go through and how they respond and behave to parents. And you see all the different family dynamics of broken homes and solid homes and homes where one parent goes to church, the other one doesn't, homes where neither of them go to church, homes where they both, homeschool versus public school versus private, and you see all these different scenarios. Perspective. And you see kids that thrive in all the different types of areas and kids who don't thrive in all the different, and you're like, what is the common denominator? Mm -hmm. And really it just comes down to the communication between the parents and the kids and how they're just interacting at home and how... And so, you know, you, you have 150 kids that you're dealing with on a weekly basis, but then they go home at night. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas now I have four kids that I'm dealing with on a daily basis, but they come home with me. Right. And yeah. so it's that constant life battle struggle of emotions going up and down. You know, my 13-year-old now. Say so 13 is right at that age where things get really complicated. It does, and, and, and it's like a switch that goes off. And he, you know, there's just hormones going through his body that he can't mm-hmm, control. Sure. And so as, as, a, as a parent, the one thing that's nice about having dealt with students for all those years is you don't overreact to it. Mm. Because you know it's just, it's part of it. Because if you go back to your middle school days, you probably blacked most of those out. Because it's not typically the highlight of your life, so to right. speak. So, so you go back and think, what did I do in middle school? You're like, I blocked most of those years out. So you don't really remember what you did and what you put your parents through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so have, having Ian at home with us right now as a, as a 13-year-old, just like, all right, just yeah, my, calm uh, down. My wife's a middle school teacher. Yeah, so, so she's right in it. Six years you know, into that journey, and she went from a private school to a, a public school, and talk about like you know um, some perspective, you know, whenever you, obviously at a private school, you know, uh, they're paying, you know, a premium for their, you know, son or daughter's education, and uh, the parents tend to be a little more invested, and now she's at a school where every single student is on uh, paid lunch, yeah. you know, so sponsored lunch. Um, so, uh, you know, a little lower income. And she sees a lot of uh, students that their, their parents aren't active in, in, their, in their life. And, and whenever they, you know, uh, she recent example that pops to mind is she had, I think, uh, 20-some students that were failing. And she had to call each one of their parents. And I said, well, how many do you get through to? And she says, about 50%. Hmm. You know, so it's... Uh, and, I, and obviously, you. Um, I know you guys are going a little different route with those. Do you guys do homeschooling? We are right now. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, and I'm sure we'll get into that, but that yeah. had a lot to do with uh, some medical issues with oh, our kids. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that kind of took us to the route of home. It was either homeschool or don't school kind, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so. and, and so we're not, you know, well, actually, we just had this conversation last night, you know, because Ian, he's a seventh grader. Mm-hmm. He wants to go to high school because he wants to play soccer mm-hmm. for right. high school. And obviously around here, you're, if you're homeschooled, you can't play on high school teams. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's kind of right at that age where we're like, okay, now we've got to make that next decision for him to see um, yeah. see what we want to do with that. But Yeah, I did want to dive into that a little bit because I know I've, I've, uh, you have two children kind of with some different health issues. Yeah, I've got three of the four um, have some, some, chal- some challenges medically. Yeah. You don't have to dive uh, super deep into that, you know, but uh, maybe just your experience kind of with that and, and how you deal with, um, you know, different challenges daily. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Ian, our oldest, he's the healthiest and he's also, uh, I would call the, the wimpiest as far as like 
when something does happen to him, he's like, he freaks out. He's like, come on, man. Like, you got your toe stub. Like, we're not, <laughs> well, we're not talking. It's, we're not it's talking. Funny, it's funny you say that. We literally just, you know, we, we, you're our second podcast for the week. We just talked to Sarah Freeman and, you know, her son had to have, you know, most of his colon removed and things like that. And it, for him, you can just tell it gives him a different perspective on life. Yeah. You know, for he's, sure. He's not at, at 20 years old. Okay, George. At 20 years old, he's not taking life for life for granted, and you don't usually learn that till much later on. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah, you don't get that perspective. Um, so he he's totally healthy. Our second born, uh, his name's Nathaniel. He's 11, but he has a, a rare bleeding disorder, and so it's kind of like von Willebrand. Or, I'm sorry, it is von Willebrand. It's kind of like hemophilia, but basically his body doesn't produce the clotting factor that causes you to stop bleeding. So if he starts bleeding, he doesn't like bleed out. But he would eventually because his body won't won't stop. And so when that happens, you've got to take him in to the hospital. They've got to do an infusion. And then that gets the clotting factor into his body, and then his body can stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. So over the years, um, I can't tell you the amount of uh, hospital trips we've taken up to Cincinnati Children's just for things like nosebleeds, losing a tooth, um, normal, fall, normal, normal stuff. stuff. Falls down on the ground, scrapes his knee. Wow. It's just not going to stop. So again, it's not like he's got to get there in the next 10 minutes or he's going to die, mm-hmm. but it's just not going to stop. And so the concern with him is internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest thing that, that we struggle with with him is just how do you let him be a boy and not be stupid as parents and right. put him in situations. So right now he's playing soccer, which every time we tell his hematologist that, they roll their eyes like, I can't believe you're letting him do that. But it's just part of it's part of our balance as a family saying yeah. it's, guys, part, so, it's part of your yeah. balance is, is being you know empathetic towards him as a human. Correct. Right. And you we've know? had these conversations <laughs> like, hey, bud, this might be your last year playing soccer because this is the first year where he's allowed to head the ball, which he's not. Mm-hmm. But like he's on the soccer field and everyone else is heading the ball, and when he doesn't, all his teammates are like, hey, head the ball. And they're like, then they know he can't. Yeah. But in the moment of the game, they kind right. of do that. So, so the great thing about Nate is he uh, he learned how to give himself infusions, oh. and so uh, how it, he? he's eleven. Oh crap! So he what's infusion mean? I got, a, yeah. I got a so, shot the other day and passed out. So. Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah. So an infusion. You basically you put the tourniquet on. You get the medicine ready. Uh, you put the needle in your arm and you slowly inject the medicine into your arm and pull it out and then you you clean it up and do the whole thing. So uh, he's talking about have to. Having to have to grow up fast. Yeah. That's and so, you know, it's very cool uh, to see that. So the great thing about that is when he gets nosebleeds now, we don't have to go to the ER. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a really that's a real cool thing. So that that's kinda him. He's you know, and, and he's um, he's dealt with it really good. He's got a great spirit, but he's super inquisitive about medical stuff now. Mm-hmm. So he's you already start to see him like going down this path. You what? really could. Some sort of medical something, whether it's researching like that's how some people or, that that aren't like it's not like well my dad and my grandpa and my mom they were all doctors yeah you know it's usually from some type of ailment maybe that yeah so that's awesome yeah so so he's cool and then uh, my nine-year-old girl her name's Clara she um, was diagnosed with either Crohn's or colitis when she was about 18 months old um, so she got in the hospital when she was 18 months old almost almost died had to do a couple blood transfusions Mm-hmm. Um, but through that process, they diagnosed her with that disease. Um, and then when she was five, five or six, I can't remember, she, we had her colon removed. Um, so we did that. And then now she, and she was just hospitalized a couple months ago for about six weeks, kind of dealing with all those issues. So, um, but she's the toughest of the bunch. You know, you would never know she's, it looking at her. She's in here, like, as, ready to throw down. As much as she, yeah. as much as she can be. Um, she's in here. She loves it. She'll probably be back this weekend because there's no soccer tournaments. Um, and so she's just, again, it's just part of part of that. Um, and then our other daughter, she's eight. We adopted her uh, from Congo. So we brought her home and then found out within about six months that she had severe hearing loss. So we kind of started going through that process. Uh, she had cochlear implant put in in one ear, hearing aid in the other ear. And then um, we took her to a specialized school for about three and a half years, about an hour from here, drive there every day, um, which led us to the homeschool because you can't drive your daughter an hour every day sure. and then put your kids on the bus. Right. So um, you get another three a.m. every. Yeah, day. you just you just can't. Yeah, you just can't do it. So that kind of led us down that path. 
Um, you know, but the crazy thing is when you when you go to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and sometimes you think, man, my kid, no one else has this problem. Like, mm. I got three, I got four kids, three of them have all these issues. I'm always at Cincinnati Children's doing this, doing that, doing the other. But then, like my son, you walk in and it's the it's the hematology oncology ward, right? It's always it's blood cancer unit is the is the unit that they're together. And you're you know you kind of like oh my kids this and that, and then you walk into that ward and you see a a two year old that's got cancer. Yeah. And you're like oh our life's not that bad. Right. You know, so it gives you perspective. Even in the midst of everything so else you're important. dealing with, yeah. you, you still have this perspective of it could be worse. Mm. Um, but as a parent, it's hard to see that because you, as a parent, I don't mind dealing with it. Like, I, I whatever gets thrown my way, I'm just going to deal with it. That's fine. But the hard part as a parent is your, your kids are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so my, my one son, he's always, it's a genetic disorder. He's always going to have that bleeding disorder. It's never going to go away. My daughter's always going to have Crohn's. It doesn't go away. My other daughter's always going to be deaf. It's not. It doesn't go away. I can deal with it, but it's trying to teach them how to deal with it and have a good outlook on life and not be a woe is me person. So that that I think that's been the biggest probably challenge for our family. Um, well, it, is how to know, deal, the, navigate that. But when I look at when I look at you guys, like I just see a family who has is dealing with it like you know there is no throwing your hands up in the air going oh my gosh you know woe is us you know like you said it's it's all about perspective and that's one of the things we try and preach here so much which is just like guys it's you know your frame time doesn't matter you know the fact that you can be here being part of this community and exercising matters you know so I think you know and I I commend you guys for for, you know being that family having that family structure that can really you know, back your kids, and you know, I'm sure they they kind of buttress you as just as much as you help them. Oh, I'm out. sure, yeah. And they and they always give us good perspective. Like, you know, even this last time with my daughter being in the hospital, like, you know, you're tired, you're not sleeping well, you're sleeping on those stupid pull out couches yeah. that aren't really couches, and uh, you know, you're rotating shifts and all this kind of stuff. And then you you look at your daughter, and they bring a dog into the hospital room, and it's like the best thing that's ever happened to her in her life. She sits with a dog for an hour and she doesn't care about all these other tubes and everything else coming out. It's like, I'm happy with, with the dog sitting right here. At that moment you're like, Oh, okay, we're good. You You know, so it's, you can borrow George anytime you want. She would love that. (laughs) She would absolutely. That was actually, uh, we, we had to do this six, eight weeks of nothing but shakes that she could drink. Yeah. And part of the leverage once we got past about week four was trying to find stuff. And so one of the things was she could dog sit for the day. Oh, very cool. And uh, so she really, she really liked that. Very but. Cool. Um, not to completely switch gears, but you, um, not only are you a pretty amazing father and have holding down the family, but uh, you're also a ultra marathoner. I have dabbled in the uh, in the ultra marathon. What's wrong with you? I have asked myself. <laughs> I ask myself that a lot, and my wife asks my uh, asks me that all the time when I'm when I'm getting ready for. Let's uh, let's for kind of race, backtrack. So. How, did, how does this how does this interest even start? You just don't like say you, I'm you gonna also, go run. Yeah, I was about to say you don't dabble in ultra marathon. Yeah, like, you okay. start off like running like a half and then a full. All right, so it's, it's it's fifty miles or more, or the ultra is a hundred. Yeah, so, yeah, ultra is anything over a marathon, which is okay. 26.2. Okay. So, you could have a, a I would you know. consider a regular marathon pretty ultra. Yeah, yeah. All, it is. <laughs> but in the in the ultra world, and then you've got, you know, your your 50Ks, 100Ks, 100 mile, 50 yeah. mile, and then you've got the stupid, like, 24 hours as far as you can go. Got, and you've they, got, they just came out with a 500 miler. Yeah, well, they have a ultra triathlon, which is uh, uh, three triathlons, three back to back to back to back, which is stupid. Um, so I have a, a, a little bit of OCD in me, a little bit of a, a obsessiveness uh, with my personality, and that manifests itself across the across the board. Okay. Uh, sometimes it can be healthy, and I'm not saying like I'm diagnosed OCD. I'm just I'm self-diagnosed. You're very myself. Type A. Very Type A. Very yeah. You and I are one and the same. I'm not a, only just haircuts. Yeah, I'm a very Type A, but I'm also yeah, very like way. chill. It's a weird dynamic, but but I'm very OCD. So if I start something. That that's just that's what it is. So, yeah, high school I played basketball, um, a little bit of other sports and stuff. Got into college, did the intramural stuff, and then uh, got out of college. And I just kind of wasn't wasn't really being active anymore. The the basketball uh, open gym stuff that I was doing they kind of shut down. So I kind of found myself sitting around a lot. And so I'm like, okay, I need to start doing something. So I just started running, 
and uh, my dad ran all through my life. He was a big runner, and so I'm like, oh, that's not. We can, I can anyone can run. So I just started running, and uh, kind of started enjoying that. So I signed up for my first marathon down in Louisville with a buddy of mine. When you say you and, just started running, like what was the first distance you went out and ran? Oh, probably like a mile. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So real, real short. Just, but, but I started doing it. And I started doing it every day. So I'd run maybe a mile every day. And then I increase my mileage, and then as I'm doing it, I'm learning how to run better, getting better technique, better form, going through a bunch of different shoes, types of, I mean, and, and again, because of my OCD, I'm watching videos on how to run, and I'm reading books on how to run, and I'm, what is the best shoes to run in, and all this kind of stuff. What is the best shoe that you found for you? For me, I like, I like the shoes that have no cushion, no padding, no anything. What would you kind of so, run with? So, um, like zero drop? Zero, yeah, so zero drop shoes. So the brand I run in is called Zero Shoes. Yeah. Um, Vivo Barefoot's also another brand that I like. Um, Did you run in the Ultras? I tried the Ultras, they didn't fit my foot. Really? So I've, I've tried the Ultras foot. four different times, yeah. and I just, I can't, I can't do it. I run in the Five Finger Shoes. Yeah. Um, and I also run barefoot, like just yeah. straight up barefoot. I saw a guy, I was walking, I uh, went and rode my bike the other day down uh, around Lincoln Airport and he was just jogging along barefoot yep. on the sidewalk. Yeah, I ran yesterday barefoot for we also, about three miles. We also did, uh, it's not really exercise in a sense, but we did, we hiked Crowpatrick in, in Ireland, which is the Catholic pilgrimage. Okay. Uh, where it's the hardest, hardest uh, four mile hike I've ever done. It's about a like a 32% grade. And um, it's uh, like, takes about three and a half hours, and it's just all about head size boulders. And uh, the real hardcore Catholics do it barefoot. Nice. And we saw saw a guy just walking up this thing barefoot. I couldn't I couldn't feel my feet anymore, and I was in hiking shoes. Now, when you get to the top, do you take a bus back down? Or do you have to walk back. And just walk back I'll down. Walk back. That's the worst part. <laughs> That'd be the worst part if you, especially if you go barefoot up. You're like, yeah. you got there, and then you got to come back. Yeah, just roll down. Yeah. That Anyways, uh, so 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 I started I started dabbling the running. Uh, signed up for a marathon. Uh, first marathon did not go well. Um, I was going over the the bridge in between Louisville and Indiana, and uh, uh, my buddy always makes fun of me because I stopped, and as I'm puking up blue Powerade. A guy with a wheelchair pa passes oh. me, so it's kind of like add insult to injury there. Mm. Um, but I finished it and uh, couldn't walk. I couldn't even walk to the car, um, so that was a little humbling, little little humbling experience there. What what would what, uh, you chalk that up to? Was it poor preparation or just, just I didn't train enough? Too yeah, much Powerade. Yeah, too much. Power. much well, <laughs> definitely too much Powerade. Um, I didn't train enough. I, I ran with my buddy who had already run several marathons, and so like mm. on the long days. He, like you're supposed to run like 18 we get out there he's like oh I'm feeling 12 and so like okay I'm like I don't know any better right and so I and you're like oh that's a third of it's like yeah, know, less than half the difference which, which that's right. good to do you're listening to your body except when you do that every week you're supposed to do a long run mm -hmm. that's bad yeah, and so and I didn't have my base build up yet so I didn't have any like years and years of running to kind of tap into during the race I had six months to tap into mm -hmm. so yeah. um you know, so that didn't go well, but I, I enjoyed running so much that I just kept running. Um, and then what I actually ended up doing was I would train for marathons with friends of mine, and then I wouldn't run the marathon because I didn't enjoy the, the race day. I enjoyed the training, right. probably because of my OCD stuff again. So I did that for a while, moved up here. I, I started to get in triathlon a little bit. Um, swimming was the big, the big thing. I had a buddy that started teaching me how to swim, and then that's when I moved up here. So... I didn't, I didn't find a pool, so I kind of quit the triathlon. So I started, kept running, and then I got into trail running. Idlewild, Mount Airy in this area, um, which was a lot of fun, a little different on your feet and mm -hmm. stuff. And then, so I started doing that for a while, and then I just kind of came across, hey, this idea of an ultra run. I'm like, hey, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. So of course, I sign up for one, and then I'm like, well, now, now I gotta figure out how to train for it. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, I've been running for maybe eight, nine years. So I've got a good base that I'm built up on. And so now it's just a matter of pushing your body and your mind to go beyond what you think it can go. And so about three years ago, I did a 50 miler over at Scott County, Indiana, through the, uh, the park over there. Mm -hmm. How, how um, much of that is physical versus mental? That's a good question. I, I, think, I think your body can do more things if you can kind of tell your mind to just let it do it 
And so, you know, with the, with the ultra, I got to about mile 32. I was feeling really good. Mm-hmm. And I got to about mile 32 and I went, I'm not feeling very good. I also got lost during the race, which is not recommended for an ultra. Mm-hmm. So I ended up running about 53, 54 miles. Ouch. Um, so those last 15, 20 miles, it, it was all mental. You know, your body can move. You just have to force it to move. Yeah. Um, so what are you telling yourself in that moment? You're trying to block out the pain and you're just trying to tell yourself one more mile. Hmm. And so you and you just try to stay focused on the next mile, the next mile, the next mile. Yep. Um, so I, so. I really tell people to, you know, just to akin it to, to something in here, you know, Murph's always a big one for people yep. where, you know, and it's like, have these little hash marks in your head, you know, like if you're doing, Murph for example, you know, you come back from your run 20 rounds of 75, 10, 15, like have those little hash marks in your head because then it's like, oh, I'm never going to get there. And then all of a sudden you're, okay, I'm a quarter of the way through. Yeah. All right, I'm a half of the way through. All yeah, right, if, you, if, you, if you're 30 miles in, you go, I'm only just over halfway. Yeah. That's not a good, that's not a good mental state. You have to, you have to think about it some other be, way. Yeah, you, you know? got to, okay, the next, I'm only doing a 5K, which is 3.2 miles. Right. Or I'm only going to do, you know, so you're trying to, you're trying to break that up. Um, you know, the, the cool thing about that race was for the first 20, 30 miles, there's people with you. Yeah. Um, and then most people broke off at the 25 mile and that was their, they were doing a 30 mile run. Gotcha. Um, so then the last 25, 30 miles, it was kind of alone, kind of alone. Um, which I, I'm more of an introvert. Yeah. So that's probably one of the reasons why I like running mm-hmm. is it's just you in the road, you and your mind. I don't listen to music. I can't, I can't do any of that kind of stuff. So I just, it's just kind of freeing for me. It's, I, I'm able to think through things and what's the, um, what's the pain you're kind of enduring? Uh, the biggest pain on on that specific run uh, were blisters on my feet because I had run through some water Ooh. prematurely because when I got lost, mm. nope. I, I went that way. Came um, over for me. So That's... that that was that was huge, and then uh, my quads kind of blew out, yeah. and so it was one of those things where like there was a log in the middle of the of the trail, just, you know, just normal log. And it's like you're you're, you're like yeah. yeah you know trying to get your mm. trying to get your leg to move like over it concrete um, yeah and they just feel like concrete so those were the two, for me physically those were the two like I was breathing fine um, I have I have some exercise induced asthma I've had forever I didn't have an inhaler with me I didn't have any problem with that um, so those but I'm more of a long slow kind of you know just you know is it uh, kind of emotional when you finish it is. It is. It's. It's kind of like a release of like, man, I can't believe I was able to, you right. know, to just do that. And you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, and so there's a couple race directors that are there that are cheering you on. And Tiffany came with me, and so she was bored out of her mind all day because it's. It, I was on my feet. I think it took me 12 hours to do it. She's, you get done. She's like, all right, honey, let's go. You're like, yeah, man. Yeah. She's like, uh-huh. she's like, uh, yeah, about time. You know, like I've been uh-huh. here. For I a um, I. The only reason I asked about the emotional part is I did a. Uh, Chris actually signed me up for a Spartan Beast. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't run. I can run, but I had just kind of like you said, like I had a really good day of running, uh, which is just weird. Like I just felt really good, and uh, f- you know, for whatever reason, I finished and just like had this like wave of emotion. And I finished by myself. Like Chris was with his cousin, you know, kind of helping him along, and finished by myself. And it was very, very difficult for the last like two miles and. It was just really weird. They just had this wave of emotion come over me. It's, it's, only, like, it's only 14 miles, but I did. I ran the whole thing. That's you know, long. that's a and, long. That's a long. And you're not expecting the emotional. Yeah, it was you're just not, weird. You're not that's the reason it. I asked. Is that yeah. I just crossed the finish line? It was just like, you know, like pent up, uh, you know, feelings from when I was like seventh grade or something. You know, just yeah. they all come out for some weird reason. Yeah, that's the only reason I asked. Yeah, that's inexplicable, you know. Sometimes, but that that was a that's a good question. Um, because I feel like, you know, in, in, in life, obviously, you're going through trials daily with your, you know, at home, um, you know, some days obviously more severe than others. But I think it's just so important that you do have this time to, as you said, it's you know, and let's call it what it is. It's therapy. Yeah. You know, you're having yeah. your own little therapy sessions in your head out there on the road. But do you find yourself, um, you know, what I want to say, you, you know, you, you have these experiences, you're almost building that inventory of of wow like I'm more confident now in, in my just endeavors in life through building a surplus of 
you know, uh, callousing your own mind. You know, that's what uh, Goggins always says. Um, that's an ultra marathon guy. Through his experiences, you know, the day-to-day stuff isn't as challenging. Do you find any, like, carry over there? Yeah, you certainly do. You know, like, for the training for the 50-miler race, there's a couple 30-plus runs that I did. And I'm training in January, February, because the race mm. was in, I think it was an April race. So I'm outside running 30 miles through my neighborhood and through Triple Crown and all those other, and you're running 30 miles and it's snow up to your knees if you step off the road and people are like shoving their driveways and they're looking at you like this guy's an idiot and yeah. i'm thinking yeah you're right i am um but just doing that gives you those benchmarks it's okay i just ran 32 miles in the snow right what's another 10 miles and you get home and you're like okay it's midnight and my son just got a nosebleed. All right, well, I got to drive 25, 30 minutes up to Cincinnati Children. To, those, it, those, it, things, those, kinda, big, those big things just become every day. You know, like those, like, like yeah, you said, those benchmarks, do. you know, they, they become easier to deal with. Yeah, and sure. mentally you know that, hey, it's going to get better. Tomorrow you're going to be sore and then the next day your body's going to recover. Yep. And as long as you're not being stupid with how you're training, you, you can keep yourself from getting injured for the most part. And, uh, and yeah, so you, you build up those small victories and then yeah. those lead to bigger victories and then the other things in life. It's just like, and, and again, those are the types of things you're trying to instill in your kids. Mm-hmm. Like how do, you get, how do you get your child who doesn't have any, and none of our kids in life have issues that live in the United States. I mean, for the most mm-hmm. part, we're yeah, all we're very, fortunate. We're in the 1%. So how do you get them to understand the value of hard work and how do you get them to understand the value of pushing yourself when you don't feel like it? And so. I think these types of things, signing them up for races and getting them in CrossFit and getting them in sports, I think those are stepping stones for them that hopefully one day will help them solidify some of those yeah, things. It sounds well. like they already are in that path, just kind of what you described. Yeah, some I've of seen, them are. Yeah, they're, you know. they're, they're on that way. But that, again, that's what we're trying, as a family, that's what we're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have a couple of defining moments whenever I was kind of growing up that kind of formed me into maybe a, just a little more of a confident kind of athlete. I remember when we would play Little League, you know, baseball, there was that one pitcher that threw, you know, no one could hit, you know, and it's just like, you just get that foul nip off of that, that one pitch, and then all of a sudden, the floodgates really open, like, you know, in a particular game I'm thinking of, like, you know, every game we'd play this team, it would end, like, one nothing, and then that one game where we started hitting them, all of a sudden, you know, we get 10 hits. I remember one time on the football field, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was, you know, junior year. And I'm probably up to that point, I play a little bit like tentative on, on the defensive side whenever I have to make tackles. And I remember uh, in particular, it was like the first game of the year. I actually didn't even play my soccer year. So I was kind of coming back, didn't really know what to expect. Felt like I was playing pretty good. And we we're going up against this team. They had like a running back that was like 220 pounds. And he was, you know, state champion wrestler and all this stuff. And uh, it was a defining moment, I'll never forget it. And uh, I was on a blitz and I absolutely destroyed him. <laughs> you know, and I don't say it to brag or anything, but it was when you talk about like, hey, how do, how do I build this winning kind of mentality in my, in my kids? It's through experiences. And like you can lead them so far, but they have to experience these things and, and be faced with the decision of, you know, hey, I could really run and, and aggressively try to, you know, in this situation, tackle this guy, or I can like, you know, kind of curl up and just kind of go at his legs. And, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that one play created me to be a, a pretty strong force on our defense that year um, because I, like, I, I did what I didn't think was possible. Yeah. You know, and that was to tackle the big kid. You know, and I know that might not be, you know, a 100-mile race, you know, or whatever, but, but, you know, again, it was one of those experiences that was a big win. And it's kind of like CrossFit, right? I mean, I know um, we... we at least myself, I know Jared's, you know, uh, probably been there as well, and, and you can speak to this a little bit. You know, when we're invited into this kind of un- uncomfortable warehouse-looking gym, and we're like, oh, I gotta like climb this rope, like that's impossible. And then all of a sudden, you make it, you know, a couple feet up, and then you're all the way up, and then other things don't look as daunting. You except know? for muscle ups. Yeah, muscle ups. Yeah, yeah. except for that. Yeah, yeah. 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 You'll get there. Don't worry. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, well, I got one more question just about, uh, you know, the, the ultra marathon. I actually do want to move into CrossFit and how sure. that fits into where you're at now as far as as far as far fitness and family and stuff like that. Um, what does your recovery look like after an ultra marathon race? Uh, 
What'd you eat? Well, Do you have just a massive blowout meal? That's maybe my no, first thing. No, actually, honestly, um, okay, so so I got in the car and uh, and we drove to I, I think it was like a, a like shopping area had a McDonald's and a Penn Station and a, a Jimmy John's and stuff like that. So I I, I, I went in three? no I went in and changed you know because it was you know you just get get clean clothes on and then we walked into uh, Jimmy John's. Mm -hmm. And I got you know the, my normal like turkey and cheese and bacon sandwich, bag of chips, and a, I think a water or something, whatever. And we got out to the car. I'm like, all right, let's drive back. And I'm sitting in the in the passenger seat. And I I took the first bite, and I I literally couldn't swallow oh, wow. the food. And I don't know if it was just because I was so exhausted. I don't know if, but I, but I literally couldn't swallow this. And I had to spit it. I had to spit it wow. out. And so it actually took me about. 12 to 15 hours for me before I could eat anything. So it's like your body's in this mode of like survival. It was almost it was almost like that. And yeah. so uh, I could barely walk up the stairs. Walking down the stairs was worse than that's walking a, up the stairs. Um, you know, <laughs> st stupid simple tasks like sitting down to tie your shoes right. hurt for like a week. Yeah. You know, so, but as far as food, it, it took me until like lunch the next day wow. before crazy. I could before I could do anything. Um, so you have been with us for a while. And like you said, Tiffany's coming here. You've got the kids coming to you know community class with you on the weekends. And um, how in I guess how would you find us? And what what role is CrossFit playing? And and maybe it, has it shifted your goals, or is it you know kind of accentuating your goals of still doing you know long distance running sure. and things like that? Yeah. So. Um, as I was running, I primarily just ran. I didn't do any kind of strength training. I didn't do anything. I just ran. And then about a, two years ago, I'm like, you know what? I need. I probably need to do some strength training. I hadn't done it since high school. So I joined a, a, just a uh, like crunch or one of those. Uh, what's the one where it's like no judgment? What's that one? Uh, Planet Fatness. Planet, yeah, Planet Fitness. Yeah, that one. I joined that one. And, it's Thursdays. Uh, in fact, you know. And brisket Wednesdays. Yeah. So I started doing that. It, but I had a hard time finding the right routine, finding the right, and I, I, I'm more of a free weight person, and they had more machines, like this isn't really fitting. And so I actually came here one night uh, for Ian's soccer practice uh, with oh, Keith. Oh, that's right. And so, uh, and actually the night that they came, the very first night they came, there was a mix up, because normally in the evenings, obviously you guys aren't here, but that particular evening was one of the ones where CrossFit had just put out one of their open workouts oh, and yeah. so there was like seven or eight people here uh doing the open workout and then there's like 13 middle school kids boys doing like soccer practice <laughs> and so i walked in and I, and I just sat there and i just watched what was going on and obviously i had heard of crossfit mm -hmm. i'd never tried to experience crossfit never uh never really thought about it honestly um other than man those guys can you know lift a lot of weights and run really far all kind of stuff and so that kind of opened my eyes to Oh, this is this is kind of looks like kind of fun, and so I started talking to Keith about it a little bit, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you can uh, you come on over." And so um, it was about a month or so later, um, you know, I sent in the request on the website and met up with I think Mark for the first time, and uh, came in and just fell in love with the idea of CrossFit uh, being it's got the the endurance aspect, like so there's aerobic, there's anaerobic, there's you know, there's athleticism involved, but then the, the weightlifting piece of it too, just lifting weights, climbing ropes, that kind of stuff. And so I came in and experienced it for myself and just absolutely fell in love with it. Love the idea that you can get up and come and someone else has already programmed what you're gonna do. You don't have to think about, is this the best thing for me? Am I using too many of my, you know, did I just do curls for the fifth day in a row? Did, you know, someone else was pre-planning that, uh, which for, for me and my schedule, and what what I what I'm doing that's fantastic, and so um, yeah, so that's kind of where where that started. How did you, how did you sucker Tiffany in Coven? Well, that that's interesting because <laughs> typically um, I try to sucker her into stuff, yeah. and so like uh, the, actually the eve of when the, when our daughter went into the hospital for the first time, fifth you know what fourteen years ago whatever it was, um, it was the eve before the Louisville mini marathon. And I had suckered her into running the mini marathon, uh -oh. and uh, and so I, I've always tried to try to do that. And, but this time around, I just I didn't 
I didn't do that. So I just started doing it. And then one day she's like, Hey, um, I think I want to, I think I want to try CrossFit with you. I'm like, fantastic. Come on, you know, Mm -hmm. come on over. So, so she did it and she, she really enjoys it. And it's something honestly at this point in our marriage that we can do together. Um, and it's really fun because again, I'm not the coach, so I'm not telling her what to do. Um, and if I do, she Never very, your wife or girlfriend. yeah, yeah. she that really is. quickly tells me, you know, mm-hmm. that's not your job. Okay. So I, I've kind of, you know, I've certainly back, back away from that. And so we started doing it and then, you know, we bring our kids in as much as possible. So as far as overall, I think CrossFit for, for me, it, it provides the balanced approach to longevity that I'm, that I'm looking for. Um, you know, weightlifting being very good for when you're older, having that muscle mass, um, the athletic, the the running, the the uh, the the bike that I hate so much, but that kind of stuff that gives you the the right now kind of mm-hmm. um, athleticism. And then as far as running goes, that's been the biggest that's been the biggest hurdle for me um, because trying to find time to run, but then also you can't, you can't go, you just physically can't run 32 miles in an hour. No, you can't. There's not enough time to do it. Yeah, so exactly, and also you're trying to balance the. You don't want to somehow diminish what CrossFit's doing for you, sure. and so that's been that's been the biggest struggle for me. So your goals have shifted a little. They bit. have. Yeah, they have, and and I kind of knew that going into CrossFit, um, and I'll probably try to do a, a ultra of some sort next year, just to just mainly to see. Okay, I'm primarily doing CrossFit. Let's let's sprinkle in a little running. And then let's just go try to run like 30 there's miles the, and see what happens. There's the uh, kind of an experiment. 2009 Greg Almondson article, uh, Run a Mile to Run 100, where he bet his friend uh, that he could run 100 miles doing just main site programming. And he ran 100 miles in 24 hours. Yeah, which is and he, phenomenal. I think, he, I think the most he ran in any given workout was one mile throughout yeah. the entire year. So it just goes to show that, you know, I'm sure he didn't feel fantastic, you know, but at the same time, like it can absolutely be done, yeah. you know, and for someone like you, who's had some experience, I, I would be very interested to see what, what that feels like. Do having, a follow up podcast. Yeah. Follow up podcast. You if see, you yeah. do one, just do I'll be all fit. big old bandages and yeah. wrapped around. But well, that'd be interesting too, right? Just find out the recovery from that mm-hmm. compared to, Oh, I've got a little more muscle, you know, on my body and, and yeah. whatnot. And yeah. That's that exactly responds. right. Um, so, uh, you know, when, when you look at, Obviously, like you said, your goals have shifted just a little bit. Um, what's kind of on the horizon for you outside of maybe possibly trying to run an ultra marathon next year? Uh, well, a muscle up would be nice. Um, and honestly, I, I just trying to get back into these Olympic lifting things. You know, I haven't done any of that really since high school. Squatting, back squats, uh, deadlifts. I don't know that I ever really did cleans. I think we did a little bit of that. Um, so that's all just been fascinating just from a, uh, uh, challenging perspective. Well, and talking it's about just, your personality where you want to be a little bit of perfectionist, you yeah. know, it, it gives you a, a whole new, a whole new to quote Aladdin, uh, of, of just things to work on, Yeah, you know, and that it's, it's like you get this, you, you're introduced as an adult. To a realm that was completely foreign to you, you know, just a couple months ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the and the thing about CrossFit is once you master the skill, then you increase the weight, or you mm-hmm. increase the reps, or you go faster, or you. It never, so there's it never gets easier. It never gets get easier. Yeah. Get so Tiffany's like, when when do I, when am I ever not sore? I'm like, that's the beauty of CrossFit. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're always, always sore. Like sore. that's just part of. Well, what, that's one just thing to your guys' credit, you and Tiffany, for that matter, uh, you're both very coachable. And that um, bodes for improvement faster than if you and did re- want to go the route reduce risk of, of injury. And, yeah. you know, because neither of you are jumping in here and just assuming that, oh, I can just do this. You definitely know? not. Yeah, because, definitely because not. one, and unfortunately, that's, I think, where CrossFit gets such a bad rap is, you know, um, people are, A, not coachable, and the people coaching them are not, being relentless enough and saying no, stop that. That just you know you need to take a step back. We're we're blessed to have a lot of people here who, who really see the value in like playing the long game. Yeah. You know there is no you know like like I said when we tell people all the time and um, you know the fundamentals class is like this is like learning a brand new language. Like try try to go learn French in two weeks. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know it takes a long time to master that. So why would you think that just because you've 
oh, I did cleans in high school. I'm, I'm fine with these. That like, was it, 20 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, get so. old. Yeah, I used to think, I used to think, man, I'm doing good at CrossFit. Like, I'm, for my age, you know, I was like, for my age, I'm doing really good. And then I realized that uh, Matt and Steve and Scotty and Chris, they're like all within yeah. like that same age range. I'm like, oh man, that's good. Okay. And then even crazier so, when you look at the, the top tier men and women mm-hmm. um, that, that are just like, oh, you're a master's, yeah. but you've been doing this for 12 years right. now. You right. know? Yeah, there's definitely a difference in, in, in longevity for, for that kind yeah. of stuff. And on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, let's just say around the time you've maybe been here a year or so and we're onboarding someone new around your age and size and they're gonna be looking at you like man look at that guy like and you're in, in your mind you're still gonna be like I'm way way far behind because it is that low-hanging fruit is always that comparison sure. to like people or size or age whatever it may be but again just kudos to you for your attitude and your relentlessness to be here I mean you're I don't know, five days a week at least probably. Try, I try. Yeah, five I try days. Really hard, yeah. With all you know, all the things you got going on at home and work and travel and yeah, it's 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 been really cool to watch you develop. Um, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to many of these, but we, we you know we always like to ask that that kind of uh, towards the end question of just very simple, just what is your definition of success? Yeah. For well, specifically for CrossFit, uh, my definition of success would be just show up and do the movement um you know I, i'm always joking with the coaches like you know i might be able to do the the women rx movement today i might not be able to get even that that heavy but that doesn't bother me that's what i love about the gym is there really is, it's all about encouraging and showing up so success in crossfit to me is that and i just think in life success is you know whatever life throws at you you just deal with it and move on like as long as you don't stay down, you're going to get knocked down. But as long as you don't stay there, I think you're 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 being successful. Mm. And it doesn't matter what situation that is. Everyone's looks different, but just just taking it and moving on and learning from it, um, I think that's that's a good definition of success because then everybody can be successful in whatever they're doing. Yeah, um, you're not not comparing yourself to someone else. No, and you can't compare yourself because you don't know what they're going through. Exactly. You know I, heard, I heard something the other day, and, and I've seen a couple. T- couple times in a couple of different ways I thought was interesting which is just you know everyone has a different start starting line you know like your starting point may not be as soon as you graduate from college some people get that the dream job right out of college but most don't you know you may not have your starting line until 35 right. you know and there's nothing some, wrong with that some people graduate college believe it or not and they're hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah you never yeah, yeah. Sure oh they have their dream job and they're gonna be paying off that debt for for a long time That's exactly you know right. yeah um but man uh, thank you very much for coming and sharing your experience and you know and being a part of this community and yeah, bringing it. tiffany and the family in i mean it's having the type of people you guys are around us just makes this place that much better so appreciate what about the guest oh this is george this is our foster Someone wants a good dog. He's, he is wonderful. He actually sat here for the most part for, th- for yeah. the entire hour. He's available. He is available. <laughs> Adorable. Hit our uh, YouTube for video evidence. Yeah, right. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks again, Tavis. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank yeah, you all thanks, for listening man. to uh, Triumph Every Day. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and everywhere else your podcasts are found. You can find us at triumphstrength.net, on Instagram at triumphstrength, and Facebook at facebook.com slash triumphstrength. See you guys next week. Thank you.